We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome to Ye Old Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How's it going? I have a cold. (laughs) (laughs) I just recovered from one. I think I have finally been felled by the flu that was going around my household. That was a fun uh, alliteration that I just did right there. So, no fever, just mainly head stuff. But I can I can tell my voice is a little scratchy, so if it gets, like, smelly cat, Phoebe levels by the end of this episode, I apologize in advance. I'll do my best. Phoebe Boucher. Smelly cat, smelly cat. You know what would be really funny? Hmm. If you just, like, inappropriately inserted, like, those strange voiceovers of TikTok and stuff. So, like, people know when your voice went out because all of a sudden it's just this really generic male voice. That really sad sounding guy. Yeah. What happened to you? Hey, guys. Are you okay? In 1839, she was horrifically murdered. (laughs) I just do, like, some strange filter. That'd be hilarious. You just sound like a robot for the last ten minutes. That's it. That's all it is. Yep. So, before we get started, I want to say hello and welcome to our newest patron, which is (gasps) Jennifer. So, thank you for becoming a patron. That's... Yeah awesome and we are so thankful and i on some level hope that you didn't sign up because you want puppies and wine in the mail because <laughs> because that's not a thing we could really legally do but hey, it's just puppies and wine it's an umbrella right so like could they be stickers? You don't know. Yeah, maybe it'll be a fun merch design. I'll I'll have somebody work on that. Just a, maybe. <laughs> All I can think of now is those like Victorian era greeting cards with a wine, a, like of a cute puppy in a basket with like a wine stain on it. I'm just picturing like <laughs> a sticker that says, "I only support Yield Crime Podcast for the puppies and wine," <laughs> and it's just like. A picture of a puppy and a bottle of wine. I'm gonna make that happen. I am manifesting it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna work with someone to make that happen. And the puppy has a USPS Forever stamp on its forehead, or like on it, the pad of its paw. Yeah, like it's like reaching out to you. We'll make it happen. But anyway, thank you, Jennifer, for joining our little patron family. Appreciate you. Awesome. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. As has become tradition the week of Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. 
we're gonna talk about something that might make you a little uncomfortable. Great. Is it long pegs? Yes. God damn it, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I won't be able to eat the ham. You knew it was coming. You had to have mm-hmm. known on some level that this was coming. And I, I don't eat ham, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. You weren't going to eat the ham anyway, so just... I wasn't. I just appreciate the smell. Ham does have a very delicious smell. It does. And on that note, this week, <laughs> we are going to be talking about Levi Boone Helm. That sounds like a cannibal. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2022 94.3 Light FM article by Leslie Morgan. <laughs> Weirdest fucking thing I've ever come across. But I thought it was just hilarious that it was for <laughs> on a Light FM website. Right. Cannibals. Extensive enough that you got great information from. Mm-hmm. That I was like, I'll include that. <laughs> 2022 Fox 56 news article by Matthew Duckworth. Again, yeah. Super funny. Good name. I know. Duckworth? I bet you he's yeah. fucking fancy as fuck. But he wears bow ties. Oh, he, he totally does. He wears bow ties. Or the first button undone. Mm, that might be it. One or the other. A 2013 Mental Floss article by Miscellanea. God damn it. <laughs> A 1907 Legends of America article by Emerson Ho. I think it's Ho. H-O-U-G-H. Ha? Hugh? Hugh? Or isn't it Huff? Oh, that might be it. I'm so sorry I called you a Ho. 1907 (laughs) Legends of America article by Emerson Huff. Just those dancing siblings. I'm pretty sure they, they say it Huff. Huff? Okay. A Barkerville article by Ron Young, Find a Grave, Genie.com, People Pill, and Wikipedia. What was the people one? People Pill. I've used it in the past. It's like a pill. It's like a short biography type of site. Ooh. It's not that fancy. But I mean it, it gets the job done. Well, it's digestible information in a pill form. There you go. You should be their new marketing person. (laughs) I am in need of a job. (laughs) It's Soylent Green. If you want to hire me, let me know. It's people in pill form. Soylent Green. (laughs) (laughs) And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. (laughs) And scene. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks, (laughs) Thanks for being here. Nope, not getting out of it that easily. Damn. Levi Boone Helm was born January 28, 1828, in Lincoln County, Kentucky, to parents Joseph and Eunice Helm. He was one of 12 children. First off, Eunice is an incredible name. Right? Second of all, the fact that she had 12 children and didn't die, also very impressive. Mm-hmm. So. Although... I only counted 10 kids, so maybe maybe it was only 10. So it starts with Joseph, who was born in 1812, William, 
who was born in 1814, but who passed away a few months later. Fleming, who was born in 1819. David, born in 1820. Thomas, who was born in 1821. Elizabeth, who was born in 1823. James in 1829. Mary in 1830. And she had no death date. So I can't be sure if it was something where she was stillborn or died shortly after birth or if her death record she's a vampire she's a vampire who knows (laughs) jokes on you she's actually martha stewart she never died she never died she just made her own her name her name's mary so mary stewart and then there's martha who was born in 1834 she did die okay (laughs) Okay, great. Not that that's good, but I'm just stating <laughs> she's no longer with us. And okay. Catherine, who was born in 1866. Levi, who is most commonly referred to by his middle name, moved with his family to Jackson Township, Missouri in his early childhood and grew mm-hmm. up along where civilization met up with the untamed frontier near the old Santa Fe Trail. I just imagine like a really nice, super pristine house. And then the long grass of death. <laughs> yep, the death grass just waiting. Just vastness. Yep, just waiting on the edge of the property. Beautiful omen. This was around the time that Independence and Westport in Missouri were still sending wagon trains out into the mountains. So think Oregon Trail. Nice. Yeah, so absolutely a gamble. Don't die of dysentery. Someone <laughs> always does. Did, did your children survive birth? Great. Want to take it take it up a notch? Live in the frontier and see what happens. We got snake bites. We got dysentery. We got broken bones. We got contaminated water that looks that looks uncontaminated. We got fording the river. Want mold on your wheat? You got it. Move to the weast. Poisonous berries? Find out tested on the elderly first just kidding that was horrible anyway his family was well respected back in kentucky but it wasn't long before their names started to get tarnished by their teenage son (laughs) start off strong as 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 it happens yep by the time the california gold rush started in 1849 boone which is how i'll refer to him moving forward had already developed a reputation as a troublemaker uh-oh. In fact, he derived great pleasure from performing feats of strength and agility, such as when he would throw his bowie knife into the ground and then run his horse full gallop before picking it up as he rode. So like hanging off the side of his horse to pick it up out of the ground. All right. What, but before you said any of that, I initially just thought of a kid doing like Hulk smash parkour. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally him. Yeah, totally. Barrel roll! (laughs) Hulk smash. He's just barrel rolling off of carriages, and people are like, come on, Boone! (laughs) And he's like, I can't stop now! Parkour! Parkour! Look what I can do! Pretty much. Boone was no waif of a man. He had a powerful build and an even worse temper. Great. Yep. Awesome. Emerson Huff. An American historical novelist described him as follows, quote, 
bad. <laughs> what was he like? Bad. <laughs> it gets better. And nothing in the world could ever have made him anything but bad. He was, by birth and breeding, low, coarse, cruel, animal-like, and utterly depraved. And for him, no name but ruffian can fitly apply. End quote. I have a feeling there were a few other names, but ruffian is the nicest one. I think that is the one that was uh, more likely to be printed at that time in history. Boone had no respect for the law, which was made abundantly clear when a sheriff attempted to arrest him. Instead of allowing the sheriff to do his job, Boone took his horse and walked it up the stairs of the courthouse and into an active session in the courtroom so he could verbally harass the judge face to face. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just see people like in the court just in general like being like, is that Boone? What's he doing? And the horse is just like, I don't know about these stairs, sir. (laughs) This is hard. I just picture him like riding the horse into the courthouse and just being like, hey, hey, judge. And just like starts arguing with him. (laughs) Just having the horse kick open the door. (laughs) The court stenographer is like looking up very apprehensively as the horse head is just hanging menacingly over them. Hey. Come here often. <laughs> hey, Judge, you smell worse than my horse's butthole. <laughs> and then he leaves. And the horse poops before the it horse goes. takes a giant dump in the middle of the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's what your face looks like, Judge. <laughs> All right. Boone out. <laughs> you, just, you just got booned. <laughs> I said, Lax, he's a horrible person. No, he's but... a horrible person. <laughs> But that is funny. Boone married 17-year-old Lucinda Frances Browning on January 5th, 1851, at the age of 24. Uh, I couldn't find much about her other than that she was born around December 18th, 1834 in Missouri. That's about all I know. In January of 1851, the pair had a daughter named Lucy B. Helm. I couldn't find any information about her life or death just that she was born so that that is it yeah well i assume if she lived there was probably reasoning behind that yeah trigger warning for the next 30 seconds oh god okay by this time boone had become a heavy drinker known for not only riding his horse into his house but also for beating his wife great the assault became so bad that lucinda used it as a means to petition for divorce which was practically unheard of at that point in time. Yeah. So that that's kind of saying, if you don't let me get a divorce, I'm going to die. Pretty much, yeah. Boone's father, in an effort to keep the scandal under wraps, paid for the cost of the divorce, and after essentially bankrupting his own family and ruining their good reputation and standing in the community, Boone packed up his things, got on his horse, and made his way to California in search of riches. Okay, I'm really sorry, but is this how... Is this what Peter from Family Guy is, like, modeled after? (laughs) So I feel like he would be a a Family Guy character. 
at this point. It's just so ridiculous of like, I'm just never going to leave my horse. My horse is now, <laughs> I'm no longer a man. I am a centaur <laughs> with my horse. And this is how I live now. Pretty much. It sounds like from what I read, he loved his horse more than he loved anything else. Before he even arrived in California, Boone had already murdered at least one man and even spent a stint in an insane asylum, thus starting a murderous killing spree that would span over 14 years. He got away with it for that long? Mm-hmm. Damn. The West really was insane. Mm-hmm. Boone's first victim was his own cousin, a man named Little Barry Shute, who Boone had invited to join him on his journey to California. Little Barry was, had agreed initially, but when he attempted to leave, Boone fatally stabbed him between the ribs with his bowie knife, killing him instantly. At least he killed him instantly. Yeah. After fleeing west, Boone was soon captured by Little Barry's brother and his friends near an Indian reservation before transporting him back to Monroe County to stand trial. Boone's behavior while in prison became so severe that following his conviction for murder, he was placed in an asylum for the mentally deranged. Okay, I would say that that's significant, but, like, women were put in there for having anxiety, so... Yeah, or for, you know, bleeding right. once a month, so... <laughs> you bled two days too long! <laughs> Welcome to your new home. Yeah. Boone developed a friendship with the guard while in the asylum and was able to convince the guard to look the other way while he and his fellow inmates were being escorted on a walk in the woods. Great. Which is always a great idea. You know, you know what these crazy people need? Woods. Fresh air and, and access to sticks <laughs> and rocks and poison ivy. After making his escape, Boone continued his journey towards California. Rather than working the mines alongside hundreds of others looking to make it rich, Boone took the quicker route and murdered and stole from those who had actually found gold. That checks out. No one is really sure exactly how many men he murdered on his way to California and once he arrived, since this sort of thing, you know, killing men in the wilds of the frontier, was so commonplace not a lot of people paid much attention to it. That makes sense. At some point, he must have committed some form of particularly brutal or cruel murder because he fled along the coast, eventually heading towards the mountains. In October of 1858, he was sighted in Dallas, Oregon, when he and a half dozen fellow outlaws started out from the Grande Ronde River. I hope I said that right. <laughs> It sounds so fancy. The Grande Ronde River for Fort Hall, Idaho, after which they planned to make their way south to Salt Lake City. Before they even started their journey, Boone said to them, quote, Many is the poor devil I've killed at one time or another, and the time has been that I've been obliged to feed on some of them, end quote. Cool. So I love murdering, and also I eat them sometimes. Yep. And they were all like, that sounds cool. Let's go. <laughs> Glad I'm stuck in the mountains with you. Sounds like a great time. Can I swim in this Grande Ronde River? <laughs> Is this Grande Ronde River going to take me away? <laughs> I left my inner tube. Unfortunately for the party, 
The winter season had started in the main mountain range of eastern Oregon, where they were traveling, and they ended up being struck by bad weather. Of course. Each of the men traveled on horseback and was only able to carry a small amount of provisions. They were able to press on deeper into the wilds of the range, eventually ending up at the Bannock River, where they were attacked by a group of indigenous peoples and chased back into a portion of the mountain range that they were unfamiliar with. The party were finally able to get back to familiar territory after heading east, eventually ending up at Soda Springs on the Bear River. However, by the time they had arrived, their horses had given out, and all the food provisions that they had brought with them were long gone. The men killed their mounts, ate their horses, and made snowshoes with the hides before pressing on by foot for Fort Hall. The weather was so bad that one by one the men started to die. Soon it was just Boone and a man named Burton left, as they did their best to brave the inclement weather to reach civilization. Eventually, Burton was no longer able to travel and holed up in an abandoned cabin near Fort Hall, while Boone continued on ahead. Boone reached the old stockade, and after finding it abandoned for the winter, he searched for food of any kind and came up empty-handed. Boone returned to the cabin where he had left Burton, and according to Boone, as he was gathering wood to start a fire, he heard a shot ring out and entered the cabin to find that Burton had shot himself with his pistol. Okay. Following this, Boone carved up parts of Burton's body, eating one of his legs before wrapping the other up in an old shirt. Carrying it over his shoulder, Boone headed east. In the March 21, 1864 edition of the Daily Alta, California, it was noted, quote, The five men started over the mountains in a southerly direction. On the third day, one of the party became snowblind and was left behind to perish. Two days afterwards, in crossing a river on the ice, two more were drowned, leaving Helm and one companion to pursue their journey. After eight days traveling, their supply of mule meat gave out, and they were compelled to subsist on the prickly pear plant, which they found of stunted growth in the valleys through which they passed. I like prickly pear. I would imagine it tastes better when it's not, like, frozen and bad. And underdeveloped. <laughs> yeah. And, like, rotting slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the 21st day after they had left their camp in the mountains, Helm's companion, a man named Clayton, so it must have been Clayton Burton was his full name, okay. became snowblind and being unable to defend himself, was shot by Helm, hmm. who made a hearty meal of the corpse, and horrible as it may appear, carried a portion of it along with him for food, end quote. Well, honestly, that makes sense. If you think about it, regardless of, like, taking out the fact that it's a human being, Mm -hmm. if you were a hunter and you shot and killed your meal, and you didn't finish it, you would carry pieces of it with you. So is it, like, entirely messed up? Absolutely. But, like, if if the part that upsets you is the fact that he kept some for later... (laughs) um i think you're missing the point (laughs) i don't think you quite understand what we're talking about right now right after what seemed like forever boone was rescued by a man named john w powell who was an explorer and geologist by trade john had been standing at the camp of some indigenous peoples 
Even though he could tell that Boone was a hard case, John took care of him, providing him with food, clothing, and he even escorted him to the settlements that bordered Salt Lake City. John recounted his meeting of Boone in his journal, and here are some excerpts. And this is a little long. He's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Bad. That's the first word. (laughs) Now. On the 10th of April, 1859, I had crossed the Snake River just above Fort Hall, pitched my lodge, and was entering to indulge in a brief sleep, when I heard someone outside ask in a loud tone of voice, Who owns this shebang? Hey, y'all, who owns this shebang? (laughs) Stepping to the door and looking out, I saw a tall, cadaverous, sunken-eyed man standing over me, dressed in a dirty, dilapidated coat and shirt and drawers, and moccasins so worn that they could scarcely be tied to his feet. No. He looks like a cadaver. Yep. So he is death, inflicting death. No. Yep. No. Having invited him in and inquired his business, he told me substantially the following. His name was Boone Helm. In company with five others, he had left Dallas City, Oregon in October 1858, intending to go to Camp Floyd, Utah Territory. Having reached the Raft River, they were attacked by a party of Digger Indians with whom they maintained a running fight for several miles, but none of the party was killed or severely wounded. Late in the evening, they reached the Bannock River, where they camped, picketed their horses nearby, and stationed two sentinels. During the night, one of the sentinels was killed, the savage who committed the deed escaping on a horse belonging to the party. Eventually, they reached Soda Springs on Bear River, and traveled up that river until they reached Thomas's Fork, where they found a comfortable cabin and went into winter quarters. Their provisions soon being all gone, they commenced subsisting on their horses, killing one after another, making snowshoes out of the hides of the horses, and started towards Fort Hall. The party kept together until they had got beyond Soda Springs, where some had become so exhausted they could scarcely travel. With their meat supply getting low, Helm and a man named Burton concluded not to endanger their own lives by waiting for the wearied ones, so they left them behind. When they had reached the site of Cantonment Loring, Burton, starving, weary, and snowblind, was unable to proceed. Helm left him and continued on for the fort. Reaching the fort, he found it without an occupant. He then returned to Burton, reaching him about dark. When out in the willows procuring firewood, he heard the report of a pistol. Running back into the house, he found Burton had committed suicide by shooting himself. Helm decided to try and find his way into Salt Lake Valley. Cutting off, well up in the thigh, Burton's remaining leg, having already eaten the other, he rolled the limb up in an old red flannel shirt, tied it across his shoulder, and started. The guy seemed really cool. For having a cannibal hang out with him, like, in his tent. Yeah. I like the fact that he's a geologist. And it's nice that he, like, let him in. But... I like racks. No. Yeah. No, sir. So you would think that Boone would express some form of gratitude to the man who saved his life. No. But he didn't. 
Of course not. Even though John was made aware that Boone had over $1,400, or $54,000 today, in coins on his person, John refused any sort of financial compensation for his kindness. Surprisingly, Boone let it go at that and proceeded on to the Mormon settlements without resorting to any sort of violence. See, Boone had a nasty habit of murdering anyone who had assisted him when he was experiencing hardships in life, having done so twice already. Mm -hmm. So letting John live kind of was its own form of thanks, I guess. Yeah. I suppose he was, I, I bet, I wonder if it was partially because he was like, John was like, yep, you did what you had to do. Okay. Do you want my money? Because that's an excuse to murder him mm -hmm. and take his money back. He's like, no, I don't want money. I, I got rocks. <laughs> and he's like, okay, weird dude. I'm not hungry right now, so congratulations. Thanks. I'm going to go check out these Mormons now. You got any of those rocks? Peace out, A-Town. <laughs> <laughs> got any amethyst? I'm feeling anxious. Okay. When Boone settled down for a brief time in Utah, he had no problems bragging about his exploits in the wilderness. Of course. He spent his money, worked as a killer for hire, and even took care of a few men that the Mormons wanted to be rid of. Given his reputation and past doings, you'll probably understand why he was eventually forced to leave. Oh, I'm sorry. Mormons are okay with murder for hire, but they're not okay with the murderer eating their people <laughs> they wanted dead. Got it. That's taking it a step too far, sir. Sorry. So sorry. Can't do drugs, but we can do that. That's not allowed in our book, sir. <laughs> you and your non-magical underwear need to leave. After leaving Utah, Boone once more traveled west to California, heading north from San Francisco. See, while in California, Boone had robbed and killed a man who owned and operated a ranch there. Uh-oh. The reason he killed said man was because he had befriended Boone while he was escaping justice after committing another of his murderous crimes. And his way of repaying said kindness, as we've seen in the past was to rob and murder this person. He just really didn't know what love was. No. In the March 21st, 1864 edition of the Daily Alta California, they noted several other people that he killed during his time in California, including two men who worked for the U.S. government herding animals, a saloon clerk, he robbed a storekeeper named Horn, and shot a man at the Salmon River mines for refusing to drink with him. So it's like, damned if you're his friend and damned if you don't be his friend. Pretty much, yeah. You want to be my friend? No. Boom. <laughs> you want to be my friend? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> How much money you got? I'm poor. Okay. Do you like rocks? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're okay. Once he reached Oregon, Boone went back to his old tricks of robbing and killing people, the number of which has never been known. In 1862... He found himself in Florence, Oregon, where a number of mines were opening up and miners were arriving in droves looking for work. Perfect. It was here that he shot and killed Dutch Fred, an unarmed man who posed no danger to Boone whatsoever. Yep, yeah, like all the rest of them. 
It is possible this was a hired hit, but we have no way of knowing for sure. Fair. What we do know is that Dutch had been facing Boone at the time, and although Boone had missed him with his first shot, he made sure the second shot didn't miss. Great. Would it surprise you if I told you that he was run out of town after this? Yeah, actually, a little bit, just because people didn't care as much. <laughs> people were like, like they cared sometimes if the people were important enough, but. I think people cared in this instance just because it was like, there was no reason for it. Like, it was just kind of like, yeah. out of the blue. Like, well, yeah, I suppose, especially since they called out specifically that he was unarmed. Yeah. So, yes, he was run out of town after this. Okay. And Boone once again found himself braving another harsh winter in the wilderness, this time on the Fraser River in British Columbia, Canada, after he fled north. Mm. A miner named W.T. Collinson noted an encounter with Boone and his companion. He states, quote, Tommy Harvey, alias Irish Tommy, and myself <laughs> left Antler Creek with Sokolowski and two Frenchmen for Forks Quinnell. I think it's Quinnell. This was on or about the 18th of July, 1862. We journeyed together until we arrived at Keithley Creek, where the three aforementioned gentlemen, carrying on a mule and two horses about $32,000, or around $944,000 today, in coarse gold, stopped for dinner. Harvey and I continued on three miles, where we cooked our repast a la mode caribou, end quote. At some point after W.T. and Irish Tommy had left Sokolowski and the two Frenchmen on their way to Quenelle Forks, Boone and his associate had come upon the three and killed them, burying a large portion of the gold and leaving the bodies on the side of the road as they escaped with the rest of it. Okay. W.T. continues, quote, We stayed at the Forks next day and saw the murdered men brought in. They had made a brave fight. Every man's pistol, good six shooters, was empty, and each man had a bullet through his head. Boone Helm and his chum killed these three men, took and hid the dust, and if no stranger has found it, it is there yet. For Boone left the country, I have proof of that. After leaving the Forks, I journeyed on down, stopping at Beaver Lake, Deep Creek, and Williams Lake. I met Boone Helm and his chum at Little Bloody Run a few miles above Cook and Kimball's Ferry, which is now Spence's Bridge. Okay. The first thing I heard was, throw up your hands, and looking up, I saw the muzzle of a double-barreled shotgun about four feet from my head. Mm. It took his partner about five minutes to cut my pack straps after taking my six-shooter and purse. The latter contained three Mexican dollars and three British shillings. One of my old shirts contained a good wad, but a small bag containing bullets attracted their attention and saved my dust, which, being tied in the old shirt pocket, was not seen. They emptied my pistol, gave it back to me, and told me to get and not look back. As my road was downhill, I lost no time, end quote. Mm -hmm. So the dust he's mentioning is like the gold dust. Yeah. At some point after surviving his wild winter adventures... Boone was apprehended and sent back to the States by the British authorities, who delivered him to Portland, Oregon for safekeeping. 
The arrest was noted in The Colonist and states as follows, quote, A notorious character named Boone Helm, who it is said to have committed a murder somewhere on the Salmon River, has been arrested by the British authorities at Fort Yale on the Fraser River and handed over in due form to the custody of a Mr. Brandian, a special officer sent across for the purpose by the U.S. authorities. While another BC paper reports, he was brought into the city last night strongly ironed. The first clue of the detectives was the report that two men had been seen trudging up the Fraser River on foot. Helm's conduct on the road is conclusive evidence that he was aware he was being pursued. He passed around the more populous settlements or through them in the nighttime. When overtaken, he was so exhausted by fatigue and hunger that it would have been impossible for him to have continued many hours longer. Upon being asked what had become of his companion, he replied with the utmost sangfroid, quote, Why do you suppose that I am a fool enough to starve to death when I can help it? I ate him up, of course. End quote. Boy, I bet he loved telling them that. Yep. Just to see the look in their eyes. The man who had accompanied him has not been seen or heard of since. And from what we have been told of this case-hardened villain's antecedents, we are inclined to believe he told the truth. It is said this is not the first time he has been guilty of cannibalism, end quote. Yeah, it's like number 16. Yeah, something along those lines, yeah. Boone was later transported back to Florence to stand trial for the murder of Dutch Fred, but everyone that was called to testify and speak as a witness refused to do so. And it's theorized that the reason behind this is that they were all paid off by Boone's very wealthy brother, Old Tex. So his family recovered then. At least one of them did. Mm -hmm. Escaping justice once again, Boone supposedly went to Texas with his brother, but was instead spotted at a number of his old haunts, leaving a trail of bodies in his wake. Of course. After this, Boone teamed up with the members of the Henry Plummer Gang in Montana, and as a result of his association with them, he was arrested along with a number of its members by three of the vigilantes' commission men. Boone was noted as saying, quote, If I had had a chance, or if I had guessed what you all were up to, you'd never have taken me. End quote. Ooh. Threatening. Yeah. Claiming that he had no idea why he was being brought before the court, <laughs> he swore on the Bible, after kissing it, that he never killed a man in his life. Did it sit on fire? Did it smell <laughs> like B.O.? Like His hair just burst into flames. Right. After it became clear that no one was going to believe his innocence... He confessed to committing murder in Missouri and California, and admitted to being jailed once or twice in the past. Just, just a couple times, guys. It's fine. You know, we've all been there. Who, who among us hasn't eaten somebody, you know? <laughs> we've all done it. Times are tough. He denied that he had been a hired killer, and instead accused the members of the Henry Plummer Gang, including his good friend Jack Gallagher, of committing a number of horrible offenses and being the masterminds behind the attempted burning of Virginia City in December of 1863. Mm, okay. Let's just escalate it. Why not? They were the ones that were like, let's just set it all on fire. You know, you know what we should do? Let's just, 
Let's just set a whole city on fire. At his sentencing, Boone stated, quote, I have looked at death in all forms, and I am not afraid to die, end quote. Yeah, well, he, he has, he's looked at death and he has looked like death. Yeah. So. In all of its forms. In all of its forms. He was ultimately found guilty for the crime of arson and for being a Confederate sympathizer during the Civil War. He would. He just would. Yeah. I think we should own people so we can eat them sometimes. <laughs> you know, when they're not working hard for us and stuff. Right. I told you to work harder, not smarter. I'm going to eat you now. After asking for a glass of whiskey, Boone was taken to the gallows for his crimes in Virginia City, Montana. The executions took place in a half-finished log building where the ropes were passed over the ridge pole. Since the front of the building was still open, a.k.a. didn't have a wall up yet, yep. anyone and everyone was able to view the hangings. Awesome. While waiting atop boxes alongside the rest of the gang, which consisted of Hayes Lyons, Frank Parrish, George Lane, a.k.a. Clubfoot Lane. <laughs> oh no! What a name. Not a clubfoot. And Jack Gallagher. Oh. Boone turned to his friend Jack and stated, quote, Stop making a fuss. There's no use being afraid to die. End quote. Boone, who had been nursing an injured finger. No oh, heaven forbid. Yes. That was giving him a bit of trouble, was starting to lose his patience with how long the executions were taking. He yelled out, quote, For God's sake, if you're going to hang me, I want you to do it and get through with it. If not, I want you to tie up my finger for me. End quote. So you can have it for dinner later? Oh, God. I'm going to save this. Boone's last words were, quote, Every man for his principles. Hurrah for Jeff Davis. Let her rip. End quote. Who's Jeff Davis? Jeff Davis is a confederate. Oh, God. Mm. I'm a racist! <laughs> I like that guy in particular. Let her rip! <laughs> and in a last act of defiance, in front of a crowd of 6,000 spectators, he jumped off the box himself, thus committing his final murder and ending his life on his terms. Levi Boone Helm died on January 14th, 1864 at the age of 35, thus ending the reign of the infamous Kentucky Cannibal. He's buried in Boot Hill Cemetery in Virginia City, Montana, but there is no grave marker. Yeah, I wonder why. There are fake ones. I'm sure. That you can see along the path to the city museum, I think. I see, I've seen okay. pictures of them, but there's no, like actual marker anywhere in the cemetery or if there was it is no longer there got it and that's old levi boone hated that he liked it oh you love it i hate it at least there wasn't a ton of cannibalism in this one it was only mentioned like twice <laughs> yeah as opposed to alfred packer where it was like and then he ate somebody. And then he ate somebody else. Right. He was just always hungry. <laughs> and then, you know what he did? He ate another guy. 
he ate more. He's like a hungry, hungry hippo. Okay, I know he wasn't that old, but he looks super old. I wonder if the more people you eat, the, <laughs> the more haggard you look. Maybe. Yeah. It Benjamin buttons you. Gross. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. On TikTok? Of course you are. Follow us at yieldcrimepodcast. Do you find crime podcasts to be a little too murdery? Then take a break from all things heavy and get petty. Join us, Amanda and Trevin, as we share killer facts, dreadful dilemmas, and tell real-life petty crime stories in the style of an audio drama. There, sprayed all over the aisle floor and eight display wigs, was a fresh pile of poo. Listen to Live Laugh Larceny on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On that note... This week's podcast plug is Live Laugh Larceny, ah, a true petty crime podcast. <gasps> awesome. Do you find crime podcasts a little too murdery? Take a break from all things heavy and get petty. Join longtime friends Amanda and Trevin as they share killer facts, dreadful dilemmas, and tell real-life petty crime stories in the style of an audio drama. Perfect. And we will have a link to their show in the show notes. So I'm going to stop talking for a while and you can tell me something good. This is really exciting. It has been a long time coming. And by a long time coming, I mean like since my childhood. Your girl got a rock tumbler. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> this has been something I've wanted. Since I knew of their existence, me making my own shiny stones and we got it because it was on like super, super sale on Amazon and it's like the platinum version. Ooh. So it, it just sounds like a dishwasher running. Oh. Like it's so quiet. It is so quiet. And so I had all of these rocks that I had asked for for my birthday that I'm now able to make sh into shiny gems. And I love it. I'm very excited. I have already finished step one of five, and it is on step two. The thing that sucks about it is like you really have to be patient. Like, each round of grit can take up to a week for it to go through. And it's really funny because, like, they know how impatient people are with this stuff. So they're just like, just think about it. A river will take <laughs> hundreds of years to make these rocks pretty. So, like, the fact that you might have to take a month, you're welcome. So, science. Yeah. So, like, calm down, you monster, is essentially what they're saying. John W. Powell would be so excited 
by the I know. When you said geologist, I was like, I have to tell you about the rocks. I have to tell you. I have to tell you about the rocks. His mind would be blown right now. Uh, so I've got three days until the second grit is ready to see. And it was really cool because you could already, like, after the first grit, you could already see how pretty the gems were, but they were still really rough Mm -hmm. feeling. And so this is supposed to kind of smooth it out a little bit. And then three and four are kind of finer polishing. And then five is their exclusive gem foam TM technology. Ooh. It's just like a little piece of foam that you like throw on top <laughs> to for another <laughs> couple days. And it makes them like extra shiny or something. So... I'll take pictures for them when they're all done so you can share it on our socials, but please do. It's a huge deal. Like I'm asking for more grit for Christmas (laughs) just so I can keep, keep tumbling rocks. What's that Aunt Maddie? That's just my rock tumbler children. Don't touch it. I'm on step two of five. (laughs) Don't you touch my rock tumbler. Tumble you right out this window. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah what's one good thing for you oh i suppose it did happen this week so i wouldn't have had a chance to tell you yet so we had a planning (laughs) meeting at my work for next year for like what the marketing issues are going to be for next year yeah and not only am i going to get to travel again to new orleans nice with my girl tiff who I know will go with me to the Museum of Death, which I am Uh going to go to this time. Okay. But I found out that the amount of blogs that I have to write each month is going to be cut in half, which means (gasps) I only have to write four blogs each month as opposed to the eight that I'm currently writing right now. (laughs) That's incredible. I, like, visibly side like you could see the weight lifted (laughs) off my shoulders i was so happy (laughs) and it was something where so we have like a new she's not new to the company but she she's going to be working with marketing more instead of the design agency side Mm -hmm. and she was like i had no idea you were writing that many anyway and i was like yes it's a running joke that Lindsay still has blogs at her to-do list because it takes me so long to write all eight of them for the whole month. But I was like, this is going to be a game changer. I'm not going to know what to do with all this extra time on my hands. Right. But that's also a joke because there's always something to do in digital marketing. There's always, yes. That's my good news is I get to travel more and my workload is going to be lightened. That's incredible. I'm very happy. Awesome. On that note, let's shut her down. Sounds good. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. A great way to support the show if you want to help us out but can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or anywhere you're able to do so on your podcast player. This week's review 
comes from Podchaser, from our friends over at the But It Was Aliens podcast. (laughs) And they say, this is a show about strange and unusual crimes of the past. I myself am strange and unusual, so this immediately piqued my interest. (laughs) Nice. The show, after a quick pre-roll, begins with a suitably old and creepy theme and brief introductions from the hosts. Less than five minutes in, it's into the main feature of the episode, The Case. The hosts explain where they get their information from before beginning, which is a lovely touch. They also link to the sources in the show notes. The cases themselves are well-researched, and the hosts present the details thoroughly, whilst also offering their own commentary on the events. About halfway through the episode, there was a listener question of the week section. This is a really nice opportunity to interact with the hosts. I miss that. (laughs) I miss that. The hosts themselves are comfortable with each other, bounce off of each other well, and make each other laugh. They're sisters, after all. All of this helps you to switch off and enjoy the show. There was also a fun fact section which helps to break up the serious business and teach you a few things. A lot of work clearly goes into this show. Thank you. Thanks. That's so nice. Uh, Speaking of listener questions, we're always open to getting them. And we haven't gotten them in, what, months now? It's been a long time. So if you have something you want to ask us, please send it over. You can either email it to us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. I'm really active on Twitter. You can slip into our DMs and send it that way. There you go. While Twitter still exists. While it still exists before it just implodes <laughs> on itself. You can also message us on Instagram. I'm not as active on Facebook, but Instagram and stuff is a good way to get to us. Instagram's Facebook with more pictures. It's the prettier side of Facebook. Mm-hmm. With less, uh, I don't know. Ick. Less ick. More. Ah. Oh. <laughs> That's how I'm going to describe it from now on. There you go. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. Our last sale of the month is a doozy. It is Cyber Week. So November 22nd through the 30th, get 40% off. Insane. That's a great deal. Mm-hmm. And if you order between that window, you will have it in time for the holidays. Cool. So if you've been waiting for to get something, whether it's to treat yourself or to treat somebody else, now is the time to do so. Yep. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. Azilda's Crime. <laughs>